Hey guys, Dustin Wynn. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. This is Paul Dini. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. You're listening to Bat Force Radio. This is Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio, so stay tuned. Back to Bat Force Radio. I'm Robin Cross. So every month for the last five months, I have beaten my Instagram followers over the head uh, about each issue of a book called Behold Behemoth. Uh, it was a new title from Boom Studios. Uh, the first issue kind of blew me away, and it has continued to be one of the books that I look forward to the most each month. Uh, a little while ago, we were joined uh, by the author of that book, Tate Bromball. And this week sees the release of the scheduled final issue of the series and uh, a perfect time for us to revisit the story. Uh, this time we do so with the series co-creator and illustrator. Uh, aside from Behold Behemoth, you may know him from the Sandman Universe series, The Dreaming Waking Hours, Euthanauts, Clockwork Angels, or as a Glad Award winner. Tonight you will know him as Nick Robles. Thank you for being here, Nick. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, I know you've got a, a lot of things that you're working on. You just wrapped up, uh, well, as far as we know, with Behold Behemoth. And uh, mm -hmm. you're doing covers on Christopher Chaos and lots of other things. So, yeah, appreciate you taking the time to do this. Yeah, I'm happy to. I'm working on a Chaos cover right now, actually. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I, I'm really waiting for that book uh, coming into uh, the, the physical print. Uh, I read the first issue yeah. online, and yeah, that's so good. I'm so excited for that. <laughs> Me too. But uh, before we begin this Yellow Jackets podcast, uh, I just wanted to ask <laughs> some questions about you. <laughs> so I, I like to start off with an origin story. So uh, what was the first thing that you remember that made you want to start drawing or painting or just uh, inspired you to be to become uh, artistic on whatever level? Uh, yeah, um, so it's always been a thing in my life, as far back as I can remember. I know that's a cliche anymore, but that's just how it happens. And um, I'm from a family of artists. My grandmother, uh, she helped me really kind of just dig into things. And I always remember asking her how she did things, uh, perspective and uh, painting and everything. And my mom and my aunt are artistic. So it's just, I grew up with it and they were very nurturing to my um, desire to become an artist, but I didn't think of it as a career path until, you know, more teenage years, but it's always been a part of my life. I always remember drawing something or trying to learn how to paint a picture or draw this and that. And it's just something I've never let go and I don't plan to. <laughs> Uh, good for us. It, it's it's handy that uh, you grew up in a family of artists because so many people, particularly when it comes to comics, but you know, I guess art in general can uh, very easily be met with 
a lot of resistance. You know, um, we had mm-hmm. uh, Ram V on here a while back, and you know, he's obviously oh, yeah. uh, a massively successful author and uh, artist himself. But yeah. you know, with the uh, you know his father being the traditional guy that he was, uh, was insistent that he have you know a good education to fall back on. So like he mm-hmm. w- he had gone through schooling to be like a, I think it was a chemical engineer. Yeah, I think so. So, like having something, yeah, to to fall back on, definitely awesome. But uh, you know, to think that people like yourselves who do find so much success in the industry might have uh, had resistance in the in the beginning is uh, kind of unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my my dad was the same way, except um, he wanted me to have that backup plan. That's yeah, a common thing yeah. you hear. Yeah, but I grew up with my mom and that side of the family, so <laughs> that side that. Uh, encouraging side that kind of pushed me to yeah continue doing this nick yeah you can do this there was a lot more push of that in my life yeah because so i it, rode it, the waves of that <laughs> and and uh, that has to be a, a huge benefit because if you're going to pursue anything i feel like going whole hog into it is only going to uh, increase your chances of, of getting there oh absolutely and it just became something that was the only path that I saw me being able to take. I've mentioned it on past podcasts and uh, interviews I've done, but I've had like some rough uh, stretches of anxiety and panic attacks and just that whole kind of mindset where you kind of feel like you're closed off from everything and you're too um, affected by your own brain to follow some other paths, but art has always been there for me. So it's one that it's the path that I always saw in front of me. And the only one that it, the only one that used to feel like I could take, and I'm glad I did. I love it. And I wouldn't change a thing, but it's something that I remember that I appreciate about it. If that sounds, that, yeah. that sounds a little weird, but I appreciate that I was, encouraged to follow that dream and that passion and it became a a road to a career and sometimes I um, say that comics kind of gave me a life because I didn't have such a strong presence with my art until I oddly enough backed into doing comics I got asked out of nowhere to audition for one and it was one of those Mm -hmm. times where I was like uh I've never done one. I don't know if I could, but let's give it a try. And yeah, that led to all this and a very, a life I'm very thankful for. So you mentioned that it wasn't until uh, your teenage years that uh, you saw it as something that could be a career path. Uh, What was it that, that made you finally think that, Oh, this is something that, that I could do. And what, was the first time that you did realize that uh, you've been be able to realize your ability uh, uh, to make a living in art on any form? I think it was, um, I, I've always been a fan, but I remember way back then I was a big fan of Todd Lockwood and he was, uh, when I found him, he was doing the Dungeons and Dragons 3.5 edition art and, everything that kind of resonated around that fantasy illustration and paintings that would uh, just fall on that line of work. 
and that was that was my goal. That's what I thought I was going to do. That's that's what I was going to do. I was going to be a fantasy artist. I was going to illustrate books, and I was going to work for Wizards of the Coast or uh, do some kind of interior work for some kind of fantasy um, product. And I remember emailing him, and he sent me a tutorial of how he worked on a disc, a CD-ROM, and that was just the coolest thing to have him even acknowledge me. So that was that was my goal back then. I I started drawing and painting uh, traditionally back then when I was a teenager, and then I kind of crept into the digital art world when it was booming, and that's kind of where I really took off because I I do I do not miss oil painting so much. It was very messy and uh, it took a lot of space, but I used to have that dream of being a big time oil painter of some sort. Do you still do some of that? I know you do your, your comics work uh, digitally. Yeah. I've just switched to pixels a hundred percent for a long time now. I still get the itch once in a while, but uh, Photoshop and uh, clip studio always call me back because that's just my comfort zone now. Cool. cool. So uh, I let off with talking about uh, behold behemoth uh, how did you come to notate to begin with and uh, the begin the road to what would be become Behold Behemoth? Um, sorry, I blanked out for a second, but I did a, um, um, a variant cover for Barbalian, yeah, yeah, which yeah. you should all read if you have not, because that is an amazing book. Absolutely. And yeah, I was doing... Um, I got asked to do a variant cover. He emailed me out of the blue and uh, I was happily happy to be free and jump on that. And we became fast friends and uh, ended up talking quite a bit. And now it's pretty much every day. So that was um, two years ago, I think now. And I was still doing the dreaming when we were chatting and, he would always kind of launch some ideas at me. And I was always like, uh, that sounds amazing. I'd love to draw that for you. <laughs> Let's see what's going on when I finish up the dreaming. And I finished up the dreaming and we, I was needing a break before I jumped into anything else. So uh, he knew that, but then he was working on the, um, the black hammer uh, Colonel weird story, the big um, collected edition that just came out. Yeah. And yeah, we decided to kind of collaborate on a small uh, 10 page story to see how we work together. And it was, <laughs> it was perfect. I had never really worked with someone who I, um, uh, to, who I spoke with so regularly. I usually stick to, um, uh, email transactions and just chatter through that. And that's how I worked, but I had never really kind of like texted with a writer and, or got to be super friendly with one. So that story just was beautiful and wonderful to work on. And then I heard him kind of talk about this before and the time for it to uh, start evolving into an actual product came up and I was free. And uh, I think he was kind of dangling in front of me and I, was, and I just <laughs> left, at, left at it. <laughs> now you mentioned... Uh... Uh, the dreaming as I did earlier as well. So going from not knowing if you could work in the comic medium 
to working on <laughs> something in the Sandman universe? What what was that like? And and where did that it, one even come from? It was wild. <laughs> I, I so um, this year, uh, closer to the end of the year, it will be my tenth year doing comics professionally. So I've been doing it a while now. But before that, I never thought I could do comics. It seemed wildly out of my realm. I I thought those people are way too talented and way too fast at drawing. And then I told you before I um, got asked to audition. Uh, that was for Clockwork Angels in 2013, 14. So yeah, that just kind of snowballed and rolled along. And then I was at a convention, uh, Emerald City one year, and Chris Conroy came up to my table and asked me about working on something. And uh, <laughs> I think I he asked me about a Sandman thing, and I felt like I probably looked over my shoulder to make sure he had the right table or something. <laughs> like me? Are you sure? Am I sitting by you something else's sign? <laughs> I know I have a banner with my name on it, but um, are you sure? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty wild though. And because like Sandman is one of those things that if, yeah. uh, you know, if someone asks, if someone who had never read comics said, you know, like, tell me five or 10 comics that I should read mm -hmm. to really know what comics are. You know, Sandman is def definitely in that, like in the top five of what yeah, you have absolutely. to anyone. Yeah. I never really read a ton of comics growing up, but Sandman was one that I, I experienced because it's just one of those ones that um, it extends out from the usual circle of comics. People on like the, um, just on the fringes of the comic world, we'll, we'll grab it or follow Neil Gaiman's work or something like that. Yeah. So to be asked and to have actually worked and contributed to that world, that just blows my mind still. Yeah, it's one of those things, and Neil in general, uh, maybe this is because of the breadth of work that he has done. Uh, he is one of those creators that his material transcends what people are usually into. I heard Neil mm -hmm. do an interview a while back with uh, Mark Marin on his podcast, you know, the comedian, writer, actor. And uh, Mark was talking about how like, he's, he was never a comic guy, but when he was mm -hmm. you know, a, a young adult, two things that he did read were Sandman and by extension, Constantine. So yeah, it's mm -hmm. just hearing that's just another example of how it just transcends, you know, it's not just comic people that, uh, that read Sandman. So to, uh, to get invited into, I guess that club of, of working in Neil's world is, is pretty cool. Not, uh, not everybody yeah. gets there. Yeah. Just kind of, I'm still giddy at the thought of him actually <laughs> seeing my work. Just, oh, Neil's seen this. this is, that's amazing. <laughs> did, did you ever get uh, any interactions with him or anything as a result no, of no, it? No, no, <laughs> no. Damn. Just yet, um, anyway. some, some retweets, I think. Hey, that, which, that's, which that's was awesome. Yeah, that's good <laughs> enough. Uh, and not only were you working in the universe, but you got to help introduce a new character with a ruin. Uh, yeah, we got a few new ones. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, a, a few new ones for sure. I, would, I should say, but uh, and most notably, you know, the ruin is sort of the, I guess, the central character as far as mm -hmm. being, uh, you know, one of the nightmares that uh, Dream had created. Mm -hmm. And this, for anyone that's watching the YouTube version, uh, I have one of the uh, the variant cover for issue one on the screen now, and that that's one book that I'm always searching for. 
uh, that it's it's always so expensive. So I'm just always watching for <laughs> for an affordable one to to be able to grab. But yeah, I love that it's character design issue. cover. Yeah. Let me know. I think I might have a copy around here. <laughs> oh, it's it's worth too much, man. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, awesome to uh to be able to not only delve into that world but uh, add to it and and leave your mark. Yeah, that's just an incredible opportunity, and I'm so glad that Chris came up to my table and just thought to ask me. Now we just uh, wait and see if they decide to uh, throw Ruin into uh, the Sandman Netflix series. <laughs> so I'm, I might have been looking for any nods or anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, of, of course anything. you have to. <laughs> I guess there's a little bit of a road to get to our book, but you know, just a tiny one, just hundred or 115 more pages. <laughs> Who knows though? But cause you know, they have to jump around and touch, touch on things and you know, they could definitely, you know, just show him there in the dreaming or something they did. I think they did a lot of clever things with the series. Like, uh, for people that didn't even read the comics, they might not know who Lyda Hall is. You know, we meet her mm-hmm. in the show and they they definitely don't beat you over the head with who she is. They, they tell you her name and that's it. Yeah. They don't tell you that she is the daughter of wonder woman and Steve Trevor. But what they did really cool with the casting is I, I don't remember the name of the actress, but they cast a woman who looks suspiciously similar to Gal Gadot. <laughs> and that was just a cool little uh, thing that if you knew is, Hey, she looks like wonder woman. Yeah. So who knows? They could do something yeah, was, cool and just uh, throw ruin in there. Yeah, I, I'd love that. I was um, totally looking for in, any nightmare scenes or anything. Yeah. Like the new one that they kind of introduced, they were like blue and purple. They're kind of aesthetic. I kept, mm-hmm. I kept sitting on the edge of my seat and I was like, I, this isn't happening, but that would be really cool if he <laughs> showed up somewhere in the background or something. Yeah, we got to get him in there. Yeah, even my mom watched it and she was like, Nick, when are they going to do something with yours? <laughs> I don't know. Let me call, Mom. Uh, come on. Put them in there. Make yeah. Nick's mom's day. Sorry, Sorry Neil. <laughs> my mom's asking, do it. Neil, I need, I need a favor. you got to do it for the moms. <laughs> so uh, I want to go back to uh, Behold Behemoth now. Uh, where does... There's a lot of depth to that story and to the characters in it. Uh, where does that story come from? Like, where where did the two of you come up with uh, not only the the genesis for this, but how did you? Uh, where did all the that world building come from? Um, oh wow! Okay, a lot of the initial stuff came from Tate. He um built quite a bit before I came on and had like the strong idea and the outline of what he wanted to do. And I think when I came on, we kind of, I think it just kind of naturally flowed together. Like we based it in Louisiana where I'm born and where I live. So we kind of had that Southern Gothic uh, start to the whole thing. And uh, it just kind of came together little pieces of both of us. Like, he um, made Kavita was a cop and that was uh, um, his choice in, uh, in the original 
draft of the story. And I was like, yeah, we're working through some stuff. My dad was a cop and <laughs> it's stuff like that. Just like little things, little coincidences just kind of built this thing up to become uh, a thing that poured from the both of us and just took on a life of its own. I think it was definitely the right call having a story like this based in your hometown rather than uh, than Tate's. You know, I can make fun <laughs> because I live just a few hours away. But, uh, you know, oh, having yeah. having these characters walking around with their A's and a boots wouldn't have uh, the, <laughs> the same the same uh, kind of gravitas as, as what we get with uh, with Grayson and Ren. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was writing the um, dialogues at one point and he was like, Nick, I need you to help the country or um, uh, uh Chicken or country fry, uh, chicken fry or something. <laughs> I can't remember the word you used. Uh, Just bring the south to the comic, and I did my best I could. <laughs> well, you nailed it. It it doesn't feel like it's in Canada, so so you, know, you well, did your that's job. That's <laughs> good. I'm, I'm glad it has a, a Louisiana southern feel and um, a, a biblical mythos horror elemental feel to it too. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because there, there are a lot of layers going on to it. Like not only the, you know, this, uh, the the central conflict, you know, that is this uh, potentially world ending uh, sort of event that has been, uh, I, I guess you could say, uh, they've tried to put this off for all this time, you know, stop this, uh, mm -hmm. the, this thing from happening. But the the first thing i remember reading the first issue and i i think it's in the first issue there's that moment between grayson and ren uh when grayson returns to ren's house and she's hiding mm -hmm. under the the sink and they have that that moment between them and that yeah. that was the moment that really grabbed me and uh, okay uh, th this is going to be something yeah absolutely that's what we wanted i was just that was the first like brick of their relationship and just the gravity of this book. We were, I guess we were naming them the protagonist officially right there. Like you are going to follow these two. This is their moment. And that was sort of the first moment that you get a bit of glad, at least maybe there was, maybe there were signs before and I was, I'm just slow, uh, admittedly. Uh, but that was the first moment where I started to think, oh, this house is destroyed. And like, we've kind of been thinking that at least I was thinking that it looked like maybe Grayson had this monster in him, but then oh, I think mm -hmm. this was Ren. <laughs> and, and then we, we eventually find out that, yep, yep. That's what it was. Oh yeah. Now yeah, that's such a great first issue too. I'm really proud of it. Oh yeah, you should be that. That for me, and I'm sure anyone else that has that has been reading it already. And if you haven't, go check out issue one. Right, stop listening to this before we spoil everything, <laughs> and go pick up issue yeah. one right now. And I'm I guarantee that first issue is going to grab you, especially when it gets to to that part. Now, drawing the two different worlds, you had very different tones. So, well, almost three, right? Because we get the flashbacks that it leads off with, I think of mm -hmm. gray when he was a kid with his brother. And then we have the present with, with gray where he's, you know, this adult now, but very much affected by the events of his youth. 
And then we have the other version of the world that you jump back and forth to. Uh, how do you negotiate like living in these different worlds, uh, you know, <laughs> being able to jump back and forth and, you know, altering up the art. So, cause there are very stark contrasts uh, visually yeah. to, to each, you know, and then they have to be, you know, that sort of visual cue of, of what time you're in, but how do you uh, balance all of uh, these different things? Uh, just because I mean, for us, we're just looking at the pages and we're seeing it done, but you have to create this. This is all coming out of your head. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's partially um, something when we were uh, first starting, I told Tate that I love, I, I, um, I love to kind of jump around the styles and stuff. And you don't usually get to do that with comics. With comics, you usually are doing, you have a formula and you stick with that to just kind of lay the tracks down and get the book done. You have a schedule and you can't mess around too much or you'll throw off your schedule. So with um, me, I, I love to jump around. I love to experiment stuff in my work. Um, it may, may come from me thinking I was going to be a, um, an illustrator or a painter when I first started. And then I had to learn how to do line art and stuff when I got into comics. So with this, uh, I told Tate that I wanted to jump around and he was on board. So a lot of this different kind of style work with the Hill behemoth was me wanting to kind of bring all of my voices to it. And that's exactly what I did. I just kind of took like the nightmare scenario in the first issue that turns into, um, spoiler alert, if you haven't read any of it, it turns into the actual future. And I kind of worked it where that painting is very rough at first. And it's, a you can't tell what it is at first until it's, um, evolves as the first issue goes on and it becomes uh, a line art style. And uh, with the flashbacks, I use more of a um, uh, a lack of um, inks. I penciled it and then I kind of colored it and kind of painted it a little bit just to give it that soft tone of memories and just childhood. So that, that was the idea for both of those and the modern, or not modern, the, um, See, this is what happens when you have a multiple uh, <laughs> time period book. Uh, the the um, current setting, I guess you'd call it, is just kind of my traditional uh, comic work. That's that's my go-to style for when I do comics. Yeah. And I knew that would be the one I leaned on to most. So I made sure that I didn't get too crazy with the future one. I couldn't keep up the book if I tried to paint the whole future setting because it's it's going to become a 50-50 balance. And I needed to be able to get the book out as fast as I could. And I didn't want to slow anybody down. So that was the choice there. I liked it. Uh, I think it worked out pretty good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, particularly in issue five, I like where that jump back and forth between the two, how much... Uh, the two different uh, times were mirroring each other. You know, we had the, yeah. yeah, what was going on with, with Gray and Ren in both where, you know, it, it you know, again, spoiler alert, it culminates with uh, Gray saving Ren in both timelines as you switch back and mm -hmm. forth. You're seeing, you know, it's that sort of mirroring in, in both times. Yeah, I love getting, I love that that comes across. That's, I mean, it's, it's obvious in parts, but in other parts, it was kind of, even when I was doing layouts, Tate kind of had that little 
click like, oh, oh, you did that. Okay, that's cool. And then he would like build on it, like, let's do this. This this works good. Let's let's continue this um, idea. Yeah, so it's I'm one really of those happy that came across. Yeah, it definitely did. It's one of those moments in comics that I really like that when something is visually shown so well that you almost feel like you're seeing it cinematically. You, know, you can imagine seeing it in a movie, you know, like it was just the like like a movie is jumping back and forth between these two times. Yeah. Yeah, definitely nailed it. And and coming from someone who didn't think you'd do comics set, <laughs> what was that moment? Because you know, for people that you know, maybe haven't ever thought of it before, the differences between you know, just traditional art and then comic art is, you know, there's this sequential aspect to to drawing comics. You know, you're doing your panel storytelling, and that's uh, mm -hmm. a, a different thing than than if you're you know, painting a, a single piece. And that's where a lot of like you'll read a lot of comics that the story is great, the art looks wonderful. But the the panel storytelling, the panel to panel storytelling yeah. just isn't there. You know, and you you can find yourself confused, like, well, this looks great and, and the story's really interesting, but I'm not really sure what's going on because mm -hmm. the panels are kind of confusing. Uh, at what point did you uh figure out that oh I, I really can do this? I, I got this this sequ the sequential thing uh figured out. It was with Clockwork Angels, honestly. I jumped into that deep end and I figured out um, how it all worked. And it just kind of flowed out of me naturally, which sounds silly, but I remember just working with um, my editors and I wasn't like, you know, perfect or anything. I was eager to learn and I just kind of ran with, with their advice and their feedback. And it was, I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed uh, kind of expanding on a single illustration to show different moments and stuff. So learning to do comics with Clockwork Angels was just that unlocked part of me as an artist. And I, um, <laughs> I never let go, but I did um, uh, change up how I work because with Clockwork Angels, um, going back to the um, painting mentioned on Bullhold Behemoth, I painted the whole of uh, Clockwork Angels uh, not uh, traditionally, but digitally, mm -hmm. but it's all, it's all painted. It's not, um, no line art was done because I didn't know how to ink really. I painted before all this. So when I finished up Clockwork Angels, which <laughs> it, it was a rough road, um, but I knew I wanted to continue, continue doing comics, but I wanted to learn how to ink and do it that way. So I think, um, the following year after I wrapped up Clockwork Angels, I did a lot of painting for covers. Um, I did a lot of work for Boom. And I kind of taught myself how to draw and ink so I could do comics that way because doing them how I did before, just it was not going to work out. It was too slow. That was a big problem I had with um, Clockwork Angels. I was, uh, I was too slow because I was trying to paint every little thing. <laughs> Yeah, trying to uh to put two more detail in, and that's a different thing too, right? When you're just doing oh, uh, a, a single piece, you can kind of go uh, full detail. But when you're doing the sequential thing and you've got uh, the the deadlines and everything, yeah, you, you know, so when you're doing sequential, how many like Behold Behemoth, uh, for example, how many pages a day would you say that you 
would typically bang <laughs> out? And was it different? Was there a difference when you're doing the different, uh, the different times? So this is the thing with me. I am very bad at um, working in order. A, B, C, D. I do not do that. I kind of jump around to what I'm feeling and editors probably hate me for that. <laughs> but yeah, um, I can't really tell you how fast I can go. I can tell you like on a day to day basis, I'm, I'm trying to work on that a little bit, but um, I think I have done some issues of Behold Behemoth in like six weeks. I did the whole thing. That's uh, drawing, inking and coloring and uh, maybe doing some edits here and there for feedback. Mm-hmm. So that's what I know I am capable of nowadays. And, and uh, it's, I'm sorry. I, I would say for anyone, you know, whether the editors like it or not, if that's the way that you feel you work best, that then I think any <laughs> any of us reading would say, yeah, do do what works for you. <laughs> uh, thank you. I, I've always held on to. Um, uh, I don't know who said it, but um, someone a few years back said. Uh, People will remember a good book, not that it was late. And that's been my little guiding light when I hit those slow times. That's very true. But I don't think uh, any of the issues of Behold were ever late, were they? I don't um, uh, I don't remember anything coming out. Uh, I hope not. I, I was uh, going as fast as I could because I haven't colored myself in a long time. And I knew I wanted to try and handle it all this time. I want to try and bring something new to my the next book I worked on. And uh, I, as far as uh, doing it the way that feels right for you and not the way that your editors might prefer, I think it was the first time we spoke with Sean Murphy when he was doing the first volume of uh, Batman White Knight. <laughs> he revealed that he didn't give his editors, I think it was issue one or issue two, until he was working on like issue seven or something (laughs) so that if they wanted to tell him, no, you can't do this or you can't do that, then they were going to have to pay him to redo all the issues again. Oh man. (laughs) So that was just making sure that he got to do the story the way he knew it should be. He wanted to do. And, and and I'm very, so I'm very much in favor of that. You know, if whatever way uh, is, feels like the the better way for you to work then i i think uh, all the readers are going to be in favor of that i hope so and we had a good head start on this book and i think that shows a lot with the first issue because that's that gave me the time and the grace period to really uh handle those art styles that are all in that first issue but because there's three of them in there and yeah, yeah i wanted to make sure i just kick this amazing story off right. So I, w- I wanted to do Tate Proud because he just kind of, he's, he's my buddy. He's my friend now. <laughs> I just want to do good work for him. Uh, yeah. And you really did nail all three of the art styles right from issue one. I remember when Boom emailed out the initial promo pages when they announced uh, the book. I remember being most grabbed by those pages that showed young gray with his brother, like those are the ones that really went, Oh, this is interesting. So yeah. yeah and and finding, pages. yeah, it's, it's done so well. And yeah, something about just captures exactly what the reader is supposed to be feeling. 
but uh yeah to to be doing the first issue of the the book that was really where you had to i'm sure learn how long this was going to take you you know throughout you know doing each issue that's sort of where you're mapping out like okay this doing these pages and this style this is about how long it's going to take yeah partially that and just i knew i wanted to like take some time and really concept these characters and figure out who they are and make sure you know i'm going to fall in love with them tate's going to fall in love with them our editors love them and uh, most importantly, the audience is going to just really like these characters and how they look and how they act. And I wanted to just make sure everything was right with this book. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you do that with every book. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but sometimes, one... sometimes there's a book that, that feels like there's something special to it. And to me, I felt like this was one of those. Uh, that makes me so happy. It just coming off the dreaming, I knew I wanted to do something original next and uh, Tate knew that too, and we just poured everything we had into this book. That's that's another reason why I wanted to color it and do everything by myself. I just I needed to put everything I could into the book. Not that yeah, I don't and, not that I don't do that before, but doing an original book is different. Yeah, and and, and knowing exactly what you want it to be, if you were you know if you were letting someone else color it, it might not come out the way that that you were going for. Yeah, for sure. That happens. And uh, I've been blessed with some great colorists. I love everyone I've worked with, but um, everyone has their own different voice and colors and mine's mine's different from everyone else. I want to try and bring that back for once, just see how it works. Now, and uh, um, (laughs) sorry, go ahead. Painting, bring yeah, sorry. I was going to say painting is another uh, angle of that too, because um, you, like I could paint in black and white, but if I paint in color, that's that's something only I can do from the pencil stage. Like I, I knew I wanted it to look like this, and I could like work with a colorist to achieve that. But there's just that personal touch that I wanted to actually have in my hand on this book. So, yeah. Now, forgive me if I'm uh, misquoting or misremembering here, but when we spoke with Tate, I, I think he was saying something like before you had agreed to working on Behold Behemoth with him that you were maybe considering moving out of comics. <laughs> was that accurate? That's accurate. <laughs> yeah. So we did um, almost uh, not get this work from you. Yeah, kind of. I think I'm just, I'm not sure. I think I might be wanting to try something else. But, okay. you know, the um, the idea of working with a friend and someone I uh, spoke to every day was really uh, a game changer for me. Yeah. Not that I didn't like anybody else I worked with. I. I love everyone in comics. Everyone's just kind of been amazing to work with, but it's, um, it's different with Tate and just someone you talk to on the regular. Yeah. And, and he's a super nice guy too. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And before I get into the, the next question that I want to try to corner you with, uh, (laughs) it's, it's, uh, this comes into how, 
issue five sort of wraps up. But before I get into that, if anyone listening hasn't read the book yet, what, how would you explain the story to them? Oh, the whole behemoth has always been kind of um, so big that it's hard to distill down into a few words. Yeah. yeah. But um, it's about a social Why, why do you think I asked you to do it instead of doing it myself? <laughs> <laughs> no, I want to hear how you, how you did on pitch it. Yeah, yeah, you, you go ahead and then I'll give you mine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so it's about a social worker named Grayson and a girl whose case he worked on named Rin. And it's then pretty much in the grand scope of the book that it's them facing the beginning of the end of the world. And uh, there is a entity that's um, how to phrase this without spoiling everything. There is the behemoth that is a, it's a um, shadow of forthcoming, um, notion of the end of the world and it is intertwined with both great Grayson and Wren and it kind of sees them and their pasts and futures and it unfolds into this psychological thriller and uh, post-apocalyptic survival story with um, biblical myths sprinkled out here and there and we follow them through that and that's the best way I can put it uh, <laughs> off the cuff <laughs> Man, that's exactly what I was going to say. I think you were reading off my screen. <laughs> oh, I don't think so. <laughs> it is a very large story, and that was one of the big yeah. um, temptations of it. I wanted to do something big and just beautiful and just go nuts with the mythology. And I love like post-apocalyptic stories. They're, I mean, everyone loves them. <laughs> Otherwise, there wouldn't be so many of them. <laughs> but, yeah, I wanted to do that kind of story, and I'd never really done this type of um, protagonist combo, I guess. Yeah. So yeah, it was just, it, Behold Behemoth and Tate kind of pulled me from that. Maybe I should go try something else for a while. So that, that should tell you something. <laughs> <laughs> and well, where that brings me to now is that I, you know, I wanted to touch on where issue five ends and you know, oh, I, yeah. I, ha I have spoken with Tate uh, after I read issue five, and I, I had three questions that I, you know, <laughs> just posed to him to say that, you know, mm -hmm. from my point of view, we need more of the story happening. Mm -hmm. So immediately upon finishing reading issue five, my first questions were, does the behemoth stop being a baby? <laughs> does... Greg get to, to ask about his brother because he said that he wanted mm -hmm. to ask. He had some questions about his brother. And do they find any fucking frozen yogurt? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, what did Tate say? <laughs> he just laughed. Uh, I wasn't actually asked. I, I was more using these questions you know, as my backup for that we do need to see more of this. And I know, you know Tate said that you guys both love the characters and, you mm -hmm. know, maybe you would, you would like to do more, but, you know, obviously we don't know anything yet, but uh, where do you stand? I assume uh, similarly that you would uh, love to work more with uh, these characters in this world. Oh, absolutely. There is plenty of um, 
demon torn up road to travel with these two characters. There's plenty more um, baby behemoth <laughs> interactions to be had. And there, there's frozen yogurt to be found. We've got to oh. find that. Yeah, they, well, they mentioned it too many times. I think it got mentioned in uh, in both timelines, right? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm remembering twice offhand. <laughs> yeah, I've, I feel like it was uh, in both timelines that there was a reference to it. So we we have to get that happy ending where they get uh, where they get the the frozen. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the next um, arc. It's going to be called Behemoth, the Frozen Yogurt. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's all the story is. It, you know, five issues of uh, of finding the yogurt. Yeah, all, all the the talk of um, family and everything. That's just like three pages. The rest of the book is finding that yogurt. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Spoilers. We we got the uh, yeah, the, the first sorry, news Tate. on on. Was... <laughs> well, I told you. I told him we're going to geo block him from listening to this one. <laughs> Yeah, he, he's gonna hate me just laying out the plans for the frozen yogurt plot. But now, <laughs> now you know uh, you guys are stuck, and and you got to do it. Yeah, that's that's it. I'm gonna have to email him right when we're done. Just tell him like I kind of spilled on the podcast. We got to do it now. I don't know what we're doing or how fast <laughs> we're doing it, but we got to do it. <laughs> got to start drawing tomorrow. <laughs> Well, I guess you've got uh, a, a couple days, you know. Uh, so uh, we probably, uh, yeah, I think by the time, given what we talk about, so I, th- I think by the time anyone is hearing this, it'll be uh, April twenty sixth, the the day issue five is in stores. Uh, that that we'll be putting this episode out. So yeah, yeah, very cool to see uh, this issue getting out in the world. Yeah excited nervous I, I want to see what people think <laughs> well uh i've not seen is one of few books that i have not seen uh negative opinions of so yeah if you know for whatever that's worth yeah that that's, means everything you love to see a book like to do well and like i said we poured everything into this one so just getting such a positive feedback with it and just a great first issue debut with everything. That was, that was wonderful. <laughs> and to be a part, uh, you know, to, to have a story that, that came out so well coming from a, a, a publisher that's doing so well right now, you know, like boom is so huge, uh, mm-hmm. with something's killing the children still going the, uh, Keanu Reeves comic berserker, the, the, mm-hmm. Uh, spinoff from something is killing the children uh, house of slaughter so, yeah. what was it 20 yeah, it was 2021 that they had like two of the top three selling comics of the year is just insane yeah and uh, it's it's a weird homecoming for me it's it was it's kind of odd working like this because the, my first book was boom was the one that asked me to audition and now i'm back here on my 10th year of being in comics doing another boom book yeah awesome so uh, clearly uh, somewhere that, that you enjoy working then. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, veering away from comics a little bit before we run out of time, as I uh, mentioned at the beginning, <laughs> Yellow Jackets. You watch Yellow Jackets. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I, I, um, 
I didn't watch the first season when it was airing. I neither, uh, neither did I. I uh, I binged and caught. Oh yeah. Yeah. Did you just do it like recently? Yeah. Um. I think there were. I think there were two episodes, one or two episodes out of of season two when I finished oh, okay. season one. So yeah, I'm really really recently. recently. Yeah. But yeah, that that show, man. Like, there's so much going on. Like, you've got oh. the 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 lost in the woods aspect, you know, uh, with you know all the the cannibalism that that entails. But then you've got <laughs> cults and the supernatural, and you know, a little bit of body horror. It's got everything, and I love it so much. I it it um, I binged the first season a few months back. I got um, Paramount sponsorship shout out <laughs> for um, something else and then i saw that and i remember people talking about it and i devoured it in like a night <laughs> yeah yeah and i i'm glad i didn't have to wait too long for the second season but i think um yeah i actually watched the whole first season again <laughs> right before the uh second one started yeah Just i often like need to experience thing. all of that yeah, uh, getting uh, th- there's a lot to be said for getting back into the world before you jump into the new season, right? Yeah, for sure. And there is so so many shows out right now, and I feel like I'm behind on so many. <laughs> yeah, but Yellow Jackets is one I was waiting for. And uh, yeah, and not just the story, but like the the cast is surprisingly keep throwing these people at you. Yeah, that's, that's a uh, great cast. I yeah, I'm just it. surprised to see, you know, uh, and like, was it uh, maybe towards the end of season one or was it in season? Maybe it was in season two. I can't even remember now because I watched them all so close together. But, you know, like now Elijah Wood shows up. And... Yeah. Yeah, he showed up in season two. And um, I haven't watched the most recent one, like I told you. And then you spoiled everything for me. Not really. But... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, that that was the best and worst episode ever. <laughs> yeah, I, I might just skip over that one. <laughs> but, now, wh- yeah, they... what do you think? Do you have any theories uh, or anything of what's going on? Because you know, like we've had like the 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 thing that I think interests me the most is with the pregnancy in the woods because they've given us some cues. Like, so we know from conversations you know where they're in the present time that Mm -hmm. their you know misadventure in the woods was what 20 or 20 i think 25 years ago and that daughter is not 25 Uh so that's not the kid she was pregnant with so there's another kid or was another kid i don't i don't know what's going on Uh, no i'm waiting for that shoe to drop yeah i'm terrified and so curious that I hate I hate it, but I love it, and I need to know. Uh, as as long as you know, the, the, I think the one thing I don't want to to see happen is that you know a baby came and went the way of Jackie. Yeah, <laughs> I don't I don't know if they'll do that. That's a dark turn. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it is. But that, they've had some dark turns already. Yeah, <laughs> and it it has such dark turns, and then it has these moments of. Um, comedy that peak out yeah it's just this weird balance and i I just kind of love that kind of balance yeah yeah the the light and the dark uh complementing each other and sort of uh palette cleansing yeah absolutely and i feel like um season two it's um 
I feel like I don't know they're they, like the setup time is quicker that they've been kind of rolling along quicker with things. Yeah, like not in a bad way. It's just a different um, tempo to the plot. Yeah, and m- maybe it's that uh, they're chasing now some some different things. You know, now that they've moved past some of uh, some of the things that we had to see and had to to know. Yeah, maybe they can move at a different speed. But yeah, and yeah, and definitely not in a bad way. Uh, and it's it's refreshing when uh, a show can be changing its own pace as it goes along. Yeah, for sure. I think it's going to, um, or at least I hope it's going to surprise us more in the ending. Just, um, I remember reading an article or seeing just a quick headline or something. They pitched it for five seasons. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it might be around for a while, but... Uh, that may not be that, that may have been just a glance at a headline, but um, <laughs> uh, the internet, I read things. <laughs> yeah, me but, too. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, the tempo's different and I'm wondering how it's going to end because that first season had such a good slow burn and uh, culmination of everything to the end of the, or the finale. And this one just kind of went quick. And I, I am more of, of a fan of like the slow burn stuff, but like you, I love when a show can kind of change its tempo and surprise you in new ways that you aren't expecting. Yeah, for sure. And if it is going five seasons, I hope that it's because that's the way it was written. You know, I, I hope it will be five seasons <laughs> yeah. because the story takes five seasons, not because like, oh, this is doing really well. Let's uh, add a couple seasons yeah. to it. Terrible. Yeah. No one wants something to be stretched out like that, but we get that so often. <laughs> yeah. And that's sort of the best part of the way tv is happening now you know these things that are uh particularly like shows that are just you know they don't have a live to air kind of thing they they just come out when they come out because then they can be mm-hmm. each episode can be as long as it needs to be and as you know the season will be as many episodes as it needs to be not uh yeah okay let's fit this into the cookie cutter of this many episodes <laughs> at this length each yeah i'm I mean, it that good comes with comics too. Like, yeah. it's it, it's got you know twenty two um, pages per issue, but um, if you can kind of change it up and just like do what's best for the story, that's that's what I wanted. To, you know. Yeah, that's and, what I want to see more of. Yeah, and that's what's great about uh, uh, Boom. And Boom's a great example of uh, you know not like. Behold Behemoth, you know, five issues. That's not the standard uh, six-issue trade paperback uh, that, you know, DC and Marvel put out. But then they've got, uh, there's the book that uh, Lieber Mayo is doing with Mattson Tomlin, uh, Vicious Circle. That's a three-issue book, and it's coming out like, you know, an issue every six months or something, because that's how long it takes for Lee to, to paint each of those issues. And that's yeah, for sure. that, that's great. You know, like I I don't care if it's uh, months in between issues if that's what it takes to make that product. Yeah, and the um, uh, trade waiters they'll they'll get their book when it's done. Exactly. And like I said, people were, will remember a great book, and not that it was late or that it yeah. took longer than uh, the usual formula. So yeah, I'm all for just giving the creative team like the t- the time they need. I mean, I say that as a creative, uh, <laughs> creative on that end, but yeah, it, yeah I it, want more time. <laughs> it behooves you to have that opinion, but yeah, it, uh, it uh, I think it's the best for everybody too. <laughs> yeah. If any editors are listening or publishers, give your creatives all the time they need. <laughs> 
But uh, what else are you you watching? Anything else that's great? You playing anything? Oh man, um, I have not played anything lately. I've been playing like Overwatch a little bit just for something really quick and fun. But mm-hmm. I've been wanting to play uh, God of War Ragnarok, and it's okay. been out for a while, so I need to yeah. get into that at some point. Um, I don't think I'm watching anything new right now. I'm probably going to go watch the most recent episode of Yellow Jackets when we're done here. <laughs> nice, yeah. Hence, uh, hence my terrible spoilers earlier. <laughs> uh, I got it. <laughs> oh man, but it, it's sort of a great idea, though, right? Like uh, David Hasselhoff shows up as his character from Baywatch, but in night in kit from Knight Rider. <laughs> crossover of the century yeah. yeah just that bridge between the woods and the present <laughs> why not <laughs> but, uh, i gotta ask because this is my favorite thing in the world uh did you watch last of us oh absolutely that Thank was God. a um inspiration to uh behemoth uh take me i was a huge last of us fan oh awesome yeah that's uh the those are my two easily favorite games of all time Oh, absolutely. Just break my heart. I love it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and I play it over and over again. We did um about 8 years ago. So like I was one of those people that was waiting for Last of Us from the time that it was only a title and I think there was an image. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I was waiting. I came much later. Come out. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of yeah, a, I... a lot of people did. You know, the the internet was different back then, you know. We didn't have uh so much news of things. So it was harder to, to catch on to something before it uh, was actually a thing. Yeah, for sure. I, um, I watched a let's play of the first game. Oh, because yeah, it's, it's such a cinematic game anyway. So it worked very easily. And then, um, Oh man, I think the second game came out before I actually thought like, you know, I'd like to play the first game, just have that firsthand experience. (laughs) And I hadn't, um, watch the expanded um or the downloadable content story so oh I that's behind yeah. the first one i the first one that was like remastered i think yeah i think they recently remastered it again or something well the, not only re, not remastered they completely rebuilt it for the ps5 like with all all new oh, assets like okay. they used the assets that they created for part two so right, all the okay. looks and textures of everything and rebuilt the first game on the ps5 and it looks incredible yeah, I played, they remastered it once before, right? Yeah, it came out originally on the PS3, then it was remastered for the 4. Oh, and yeah, wow. that that, okay. that 4 version looks fan. That's probably what you were talking about. And yeah, that, that one looks yeah. great too. Yeah, I played through all of it and then just jumped right into uh, uh, the sequel and, you know, just kind of played and cried for days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a rough it's just ride. just yeah. It is, but it's like the most beautiful game and story, just heart wrenching. And I, I'm a sucker for like the bittersweet stories and the character work. And uh, I, yeah, I, I, I and, love it. I'm glad you mentioned it. <laughs> yeah, and and what they do to you in uh, in the second game, you know, introducing you to someone from a standpoint of hating them, but then make you yeah. like them. <laughs> exactly. That's. Oh, why, why are you guys so good and so evil? <laughs> Purely evil. Uh, about eight, maybe it was probably about eight years ago, I think, 
we did a podcast with Paul Dini and Misty Lee. Uh, Misty is his wife. Uh, so okay. in addition to being a stage magician and, you know, several other things that are just really cool, she is also a voice actor. And she created oh, yeah. the clicker sound what? for the first That's game. Awesome. Yeah. You can see old videos on YouTube of her in the studio creating the sound. <laughs> and then she taught it to a male voice actor to do the male clicker voices. Oh, cool. And then they sort of based the designed what the the final look of the clickers were on this sound that she had created so uh awesome so we had uh we had her on and you know i got to nerd out uh, on her about the game you know at at the time i had probably played through the game you know about five six times already so (laughs) i went a bit crazy on her and then she tried to teach us how to do the clicker sound I was going to ask. <laughs> yeah, she That's did. Amazing. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And the coolest thing is that not, not only they brought her back for the second game, you see her in the credits there too, but uh, she also worked on the show, on the HBO show. Oh, nice. uh, yeah, I saw uh, a making a video that shows her and the uh, the gentleman actor. I'm sorry, I don't know his name, but showed them in the studio with Craig Mazin recording sounds. Yeah, so it's uh, awesome that That's they kept awesome. those people that were there in the beginning are are still there. Yeah, uh, you know, say, now I that it's that. all Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And they said they're going to um, break up the second game, kind of into seasons. I think. <laughs> yeah. So, I I always listen to the podcast after each episode. Uh, there was an official HBO podcast with Troy Baker, uh, Joel from the games, yeah, uh, Neil Druckmann, and Craig Mazin. So like the minute the show ended on HBO, they would throw up on Spotify the the podcast episode covering that that show episode. And I think it was in the first one that uh, Craig revealed that, well, at that point, uh, a season two hadn't been announced. So at that mm-hmm. point, he was saying, you know, if if we get to go farther than season one, uh, we will use we will take two seasons to tell the second game. And then since then, he has amended that to say at least two seasons, which is great to hear because that second (laughs) game is just way too long for a a nine episode season. Yeah, I mean, I would have I would have loved if they did that with the first one, but I understand why they couldn't (laughs) just but the way they handled it was beautiful. Yeah. And the, the the things that they stayed that they stuck to the source material were were Mm -hmm. great and where they changed it, that Bill and Frank episode, that was, you know, a very oh. different version of the world for Bill and Frank, but geez, could that have been that, any better? No, that was, it's gotta be like my favorite, one of my favorite hours of television ever. Yeah. I, I was not, ex- nobody was expecting that. And just, I don't know if they know how special that episode is. Or, at least I hope they do. Yeah, and like hopefully the uh, award shows will uh, show them, you know. Yeah, I was screaming for awards just the minute it finished. I was just blown away. I saw this meme uh, about that episode that said, uh, Joel needs a truck. Let's write the single greatest hour of drama television ever created. (laughs) (laughs) It was a a very dramatic road to get Joel and Ellie a truck. Yeah, for sure. But let's just stick let's stick that song in the truck too, just to cap it off at the end. Yeah, in case you weren't already a mess. Yeah. <laughs> now we'll uh, the, put a the, nail on the, the window coffin. pan shot too. Let's just stick that in there too. 
and the window pan the like that window shot was genius because one you know you're showing them drive away through the window you've got mm -hmm. the the painting of of bill on the wall that frank had done the the song is playing but then also that window shot is the game menu yep <laughs> you know, the, the curtain blowing and everything man these guys <laughs> let's just fully destroy them by episode two yeah, I, I remember when that one aired and then um Druckmann was on Twitter saying that wasn't even the real sad episode. <laughs> oh, okay. We're we're doing this. Man, imagine when they get to, you know, that oh. the things in season 2. Uh pe the people that got on board with the show, you know, aren't aren't ready for um, for the second yeah, game. Yeah, no. I don't or, know if I'm ready for the second game to see it in like a cinematic TV HBO view. Like I'm going to oh yeah, like it's it's one thing to see the events happen with animated characters. You know, it's you know it's uh, mocap and everything, but you know they're yeah. sort of animated on top of that. Then seeing real people yeah, embodying it's... that, you know, yeah, and they, um, I mean, it's HBO, and they've got already got brilliant actors, and you know they're going to go a hundred percent with what's going to happen i'm trying not to spoil a tv show or a video game more than my own comic book <laughs> like yeah read behold behemoth this happens this happens but i don't want to spoil this game because it's gonna it's gonna tear your heart out and stump on it uh, you know, so you know so does the uh so does behold behemoth uh yeah that's true <laughs> yeah, like i said um when we first started, uh, Tate knew I was like a huge um, Last of Us fan. And so that was like a ton of the show's music is on my um, Behold Behemoth playlist. Oh, nice. That's another thing about the show. They kept the music from the game. And I was like, yeah. oh. oh. Yeah. There, there, was, there was no way they couldn't. You know, Gustavo's oh, soundtrack absolutely. is just so synonymous with the game. Yeah, I mean, um, I finished playing the first two games and it was like, around getting too close to Christmas and someone asked me what I wanted. And I was like, I kind of want a guitar and want to learn guitar. <laughs> yeah. And, well, so I feel I like I want to learn some Pearl Jam. <laughs> yeah. It just, I got a feeling for some reason. So yeah, that happened. <laughs> nice. So uh, what have you picked up uh, playing so far? Oh no, I haven't even played as much as I want. I need to start like putting out time to stop drawing and actually pick it up. Yeah, yeah, I get that. You, you and you need your your Joel to teach you how to play. I do. <laughs> my, my Joel has been a book and YouTube. <laughs> uh, not not nearly as dashing. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, did you clock? You know, I mentioned Gustavo and how synonymous his game and like his music is with the games, and like he's such a part of the game culture. Did you notice, or did I don't know if you knew what he looked like, but in the second game right near the beginning when you're walking through Jackson and uh, the dog comes up to you, Buckley from the first game. And you see there, there's the man sitting in the chair playing a banjo and that is Gustavo that they put in the game. Oh, that's amazing. I didn't know that. No, I haven't. I want to <laughs> yeah. play the second game again. It's been a while. And, um, yeah. I'm kind of got a little bit of free time at the moment. So maybe I'll get emotionally invested in the video game again that I've played before and, 
you know, yeah. know everything that happens. <laughs> <laughs> why, why the hell? But it's one of those things like, you know, sometimes I'll watch like, you know, Breaking Bad over again. And I think anything that is that level of quality, you can watch it again. And each time you do, you pick up different things that you didn't before. Yeah, for sure. And just um, as a, a storyteller, uh, you, you pick up those things and that's um, part of how you learn to tell better stories, I guess, you know, that's, I, I'm a big video game nerd. So that's a big uh, library for me. Yeah. Especially with like the last of us that is so cinematic. I mean, comics can be cinematic in their moments, but they have their own visual language that you can play with and stuff. But, you know, bringing inspiration from outside sources makes your comics interesting. For sure. And uh, somehow that uh, comparison of uh, games and comics uh, is reminding me of a, a game that to me felt in a lot of ways like a comic. Did you ever play What Remains of Edith Finch? Uh, I'm sorry, what was that? What Remains of Edith Finch? Uh, no, I haven't. Um, it's kind of ringing a bell, though. Yeah, really interesting game. It's about a movie length. Like, you'll play through it in one sitting. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's just, it, it feels sort of like reading a comic because you're walking through a story. There are no enemies to fight, uh, you know, no, nothing like that at all. Uh, you're you're walking through a story and it's really dramatic and and well told and uh, yeah it it'll destroy you too. Oh, wonderful! Yeah, Maybe so, I'll play yeah. that before yeah. I return to Last of Us. <laughs> yeah, it's a a nice uh, appetite wetter for uh, for the misery. <laughs> so it's called What Remains of Edith Finch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. PlayStation and cool. PC, but uh, yeah, obviously you're a, a PlayStation guy, having played Last of Us. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. I'll write them, write them down. And uh, yeah, then as far as picking up on things, you know, picking up new things each time you go back to something, I'm sure now that having read issue five, I'll I'll go back and read through uh, all five issues of Behold Behemoth uh, in succession again. And uh, there are probably some things that I'll pick up on. Uh, let's see, you son of a bitch. I didn't even notice that. <laughs> That's the great thing about going back through a story when you have the hindsight of how things end that, you know, you yourselves as creators, you know, as you and Tate were, were creating this, you knew what you were putting in and why, but for those of us reading it, we can go back after and read things like, ah, that's why that was there. Yeah. You get that whole um, full circle effect. And I love seeing that when you go back into a story. Yeah. So I'm going to have to do that. And, Anyone listening, uh, if you have already read Behold Behemoth, do the same. Read, you know, start it from the beginning. Read them, uh, read them all together. And if you haven't, and you, if you're still listening, I don't know why you're still listening if you haven't read it. But go, uh, go pick it up and read it because you, we've really barely scratched the surface of uh, what goes through this story. But uh, sheesh. We have uh, been at it for a little bit. Mm-hmm. So uh, back to the topic at hand. So issue five, Behold Behemoth in stores today, as you will be able to hear this, April 26th. Uh, if you have not picked it up already, go out and get it. 
And uh, yeah, it's one of my absolute recommended readings of the year on end of last year and beginning of this year. Uh, Thank you. You can make no mistake with picking this one up, but uh, anything that you would like to say before I let you get back to life? Uh, just echoing you and uh, pick up Behold Behemoth 5 this coming uh, comic book day or today, since you'll be listening to it today, hopefully. Um, and let us know what you think. Uh, check out Christopher Chaos as yes. well. Yeah, that's so good. That's Tate Bromble also, Isaac Goodhart. And man, yes, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you you can read the first issue of that uh, online, and it's coming into print soon. So good, and and Nick does yeah, great covers Wars. for it. Yeah, yeah, so I've been good. doing covers and con- uh, character concepts for that. Yeah, yeah, that that's another one that's oh, yeah. just a really original book, and uh, yeah, definitely something you want to read. And uh, yeah, we will leave it there. Behold, Behemoth number five, April twenty sixth. This was Nick Robles. Thank you for being here, Nick. Oh, thank you for having me. I had fun. Uh, me too. And this was Bat Force Radio. We will see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>